Hey everybody, I just want to take a moment to talk about a new thing I'm doing. Over the years, many of you have reached out to me telling me how much you love the podcast, but also wish there were more personalized takeaways and more in-depth interactions with our guests to hear what they think about comedy. This is why I'm now launching my new digital academy, Blueprint for Success. With exclusive interviews and comedy philosophies of stars and industry veterans, personalized versions of the Industry Standard podcast, commercial-free, and one-on-one coaching time with me. Blueprint for Success will give you the powerful tools that will take you up the elevator beyond the competition and reach the highest possible levels to achieve your dreams. Whether it be stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, hosting, radio podcasting, social media influencing, or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or an agent. Now I'm here to help, personally. We'll go on an express train of comedy and entertainment like nobody else has before. You can find out more about Blueprint for Success and the comedy business on my website at barrycats.com. Together, we'll take your career where you want it to go. If you love comedy and you feel like it's something you want to do, number one, study it. Study why is this funny? Why do I love Maria Bamford? What Take she your do? top five comedians and try to write why is that person funny? Like write a paper. Be like, why is this person funny? Why are these people funny? What, what do they do that's great? What is their comedic formula? What is their comedic juice? And then say, well, what do I do that that I can bring to the table? Can I imitate every single person in my office and make everyone laugh because I can just pick up on mannerisms and I understand the way people that do I make hilarious observations? Am I a cute person who says the most outrageous thing? Am I the kind of person who tells the greatest stories in the world and I can make a whole room of people listen to me and I have all these funny jokes? Can I do characters? Do I have incredible observations identify what it is in yourself that's funny and then try to write some material towards that and then go up in your local scene hey everybody welcome back to another episode of industry standard with me barry katz hope you're having an amazing week Wherever you are in the world, I know I am, and I'm really looking forward to part two of the Scalar Brothers. Randy and Jason are some of the most incredible people I've ever met in this business, and they have a great story. And before we get started, you can reach me if you want to, at Barry Katz on Instagram or Twitter, or wherever social media is, just press follow, and I would be glad to answer any questions you might have and i'll get back to you as soon as i possibly can you can also reach me at barrycats.com and thank you again for listening to the podcast subscribing and passing it on to your friends it really means a lot thank you thank you thank you and when i think about the scalar brothers i think about how difficult it is to be a comedy team and make it work and keep it going There's so many great ones throughout the years, but there's not a lot of them. And almost all of them never lasted and went the distance. All the way back to Dean Martin and Jerry Lewis, and people forget, but in the 50s, these guys were selling out and lines around the block. You couldn't 
even get into one of their shows. And in my days in New York, I represented this comedy team called Red Johnny and the Round Guy. Tim Regan, who is no longer doing comedy, and John DiMaggio, who's one of the most established and prestigious voiceover artists and actors of my time. They would go in the clubs and they would just kill it all the time. And then when it came to booking film and television roles, it was tougher. John was able to book a lot of television roles, not necessarily Tim. And as a team, they did a huge overall deal at MTV, probably the largest overall deal at MTV that was ever done during the 90s. So the Scalar brothers are an anomaly in a way because you just don't see people who get along, who gut it out over and over again and keep pumping out great content. One of the things that all of you weren't able to witness was they elected during the Montreal Comedy Festival in Montreal to submit themselves to do the celebrity roast battle. Now, that was going on every night. And the thing about the celebrity roast battle is you think you're going to submit to it and you think you're going to go on and it's going to be fun and it's going to be a great experience. And maybe it is all of those things. But one of the things they don't tell you is how much work it is. So think about this. If you prepare and put a set together for the roast battle where you have to come up with at least three strong one-liners against your opponent, you have to prepare that day. If you're one person, you're just preparing for yourself. But if you're two people, you have to prepare for the timing, who's going to say what, who's going to emphasize a certain point. It's very, very difficult. So they won the first night. And they had to go again, and they're working all day on that. And then they won again. And so the amount of work that they put in, they could easily tank it and say, we're going home, it's fine, we had a fun time. But they didn't. They kept fighting and putting it forward and moving forward, and they got to the very end. They didn't win, but they did extremely well. But not only that, it just showed to me that they weren't known for roasts. But they worked hard and prepared and did something to where the industry up there realized, hey, these guys can do this as well as what they do. And then you just think, okay, well, these guys are stand-ups. But no, they're creators. They created a show called Cheap Seats, a sports show of no less. And that went 77 episodes. And then they don't only do one podcast, they do two podcasts. And one of them is being developed by Sony into an animated television show. Then you put together the fact that they work with some of the greatest comedians, from Chelsea Handler to Jim Jeffries to Dave Chappelle, never-ending because they keep expanding their base in the business and keep stacking on top of the skills that they have already to develop new areas. And so just remember, if you can figure out how to do what they've done, where they keep mastering one skill after another after another and keep going forward and becoming successful in every area of the comedy business, I can guarantee you, if you can do that for your business, whatever you're doing, you can have the possibility of the kind of career that the Scalar brothers have. Here we go.
go in three, two. This show will have laughter. I got everybody pregnant with Barry Katz and semen. I'm not comfortable with the tone this is taking. If you're undeniable, you will not be denied. If you want to be successful in show business, you get yourself a Jew white manager like Barry Katz. <laughs> Being a manager is just turning no's into yeses. Creating holy shit moments. Uh, undeniable. You fucking firing me up, Katz. I love this man. Is there anything else I should know? You're on. What? Out of the air! Barry Katz. Back in the house. 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 Let's do this. All right. Let's go way, way back. Take me back to where you grew up, your family, how many people were in the family, and what was your first inspiration to getting into this crazy business? So we grew up in St. Louis, Missouri, uh, just the two of us in our family, mom and dad. Dad worked at a, I mean, we were a lower middle class in St. Louis, Jewish you know, it was a nice, small, strong Jewish community there. Our dad was pretty funny, a funny guy, but funny in a way of like, he would always make people smile and kind of, je- you know, laugh, but he wasn't like a joke writer or wanted to be that. He was a businessman and he knew that his personality was the thing that he would use to... He was a salesman. Salesman. And he also, then he bought his own business. When we were in high school, he bought the family business. He went a million dollars into debt and like put all, right before we were about to go to college and literally said, I'll let the business work our way out of this thing. I'll let the business... I'll bet on myself to to which is kind of the combo of him being funny and in every situation we'd be in you just like in 30 seconds he'd run us on errands with him on like a Saturday we're out in the car in a running car that's what the way life was like in like basically if you were a child molester or Jimmy Carr you would uh, kidding Uh, we tried to limit the number of pedophilia jokes. Uh, last night to under 12 and Jimmy's like you had me at under 12 All right. uh, no but the the issue of we would be in a car with it running like a pedophile could be like I'll just take these two twins I'll drive away well we'd be watching our dad and he'd talk to people and in a minute they'd be smiling and laughing always and it seemed special and important so there was that we grew up loving comedy uh, we didn't have a ton of money we grew up not having a lot that was we got used to just that. appreciating what we had and our dad then bought the business which was a huge leap of faith you know I mean it was what he was doing but he believed in himself and he bet on himself which was a very impression huge impression for us which all artists if you you, you have to make that you are your own business and you are betting on yourself that's it and now that we have families the bet gets a, the, the ante gets the way stakes up. Go up stakes go way up because you're now doing it for other people and which is what we kind of understand what our dad did so, I mean, we grew up loving, we grew up as y- younger people at 11, 12 years old, starting to really love comedy, love it. Like the age of your kids. That's when we So got like into we it. got into it, cable TV. So what were the things that you watched that inspired you? Okay. We, I remember when we, we watched, we taped Blazing Saddles off of TV. So it like edited out like... Which meanwhile, Blazing Saddles in like 1979, they still use the N-word. N-word still made it in on network television. Fag made it on there. It was like, what? Are you kidding me? Now, it's crazy. But... It was amazing. I mean, it was so uh, take away the racism and take away the stuff. That well, but Richard exciting. Pryor wrote the script. So there was it was actually a commentary on stupid white people. That's the way we later came to understand it. The word is harsh and it's hard to hear and it's hard to hear coming out of white people's but mouths. The black man in there is the, the hero, is the smart one He's in the, the town. savior and the hero and the smart one. So if you look at it that way and you look at the fact that Richard Pryor wrote that script, you suddenly say, holy crap, this is funny. Um and it says something. There's and we like love commentary. So we love Mel Brooks. And so we, we learned Young it. Frankenstein. And then Airplane came out and it was like a revolution in our minds of comedy. Airplane came out and our parents had a party 
when airplane came out on on vhs we had a we had an old vhs from our uncle who worked at an appliance store in southern california called phil and jim's he sent us like he sent us the brand new hitachi hitachi was which i was like is that even a brand hitachi what is that like the remote american the remote control was on a cord connected to the thing and it didn't reach our couch so like we used to call it the attachy because it was, it was attached a, to the thing but like that was funny that like we had a remote control but, but you, you had, had to stand, stand like eight to, feet away to from, do it and so like we had the hitachi it would like the the thing would come up and out and you put it in and it go down and we invited a bunch of families and families and friends over to watch airplane together we never did that with any other movie our, our parents did that so in a weird way they were like this is valuable. We're going to have a party to watch this movie because it's so goddamn so funny. So we loved it. And then like 84, 85, Ronnie Dangerfield. Ronnie Dangerfield did the Young Comedian special. Was that the one with Dice? So it was the one before that with Dice. So the one before Dice. So the one before, that, before Dice was uh, Seinfeld. Seinfeld, Robert Townsend, Bob Nelson, Rita Rudner, Sam Kinison. Jeff Altman. Jeff Altman, uh, Bob Saget. So an incredible Seinfeld set on that. I, I would hasten and tell all of your fans who are listening, all three of them, tell them, just kidding, to... Uh, <laughs> Why to, are you roasting Barry? Now? I don't know. To, uh, go, to go on YouTube and watch Seinfeld set on the Young Comedian Special. It is seven minutes of pure perfection as far as like a stand-up set goes. We in. learned it backwards and forwards. We memorized it. We, our par- we, we would try it out on people. We, our parents' friends would come over and play bridge, and they'd be like, what's going on? How are you guys doing? We're in, like, eighth grade or seventh grade, and we're like, shower radio, that's a bizarre item. You, you need music and dancing and a slick surface next to a glass door. I mean, what's the deal with that? And people thought it was hilarious, and we just start riffing on this thing. Yes, officer, his name was Amal, and then the symbol for Boron. Uh, so we're doing all of his punchlines and the jokes. symbol for Boron. Boron. No, I'm sure it wasn't manganese. I had the periodic chart with me at the time. The fact that we still remember the whole thing word for word it was so beautiful. And, and we were such his bit, his bit about his mom. His mom just being like, I'm very in, much into walls. What do you think of this wall? What do you think of this wall? What do you think of that wall? And his line, to me, if it's forcing you to use the door to get out of the room, it's doing its job. That's a brilliant joke. The fact that we remember that from that line, it's a brilliant joke. And it sounds like, what's amazing is it sounded like, it sounds like his, the mom character he created on Seinfeld. You could have seen that scene. What do you think of this wall, Jerry? Jerry? come look at this Jerry, wall. come look at this wall. But amazing. And at the time, no one, not no one knew him. People, He was on Carson, so people knew him. But he didn't have like a huge name. And we thought, oh, he's ours. He, This guy is ours. No one knows about, it's such a shame. No one in our high school knew. Nobody knows. Like the Seinfeld. general population didn't know about Jerry Seinfeld. We're like, it's such a shame. No one's going to know who Jerry Seinfeld is. <laughs> Meanwhile, we were huge fans of Letterman. Huge, huge, huge. We were talking to Mark Marin here about his inter- Letterman, Letterman interview. And we're like, man, he was... He was like alt. He was like alt late night host. He would do the weirdest, best bits, twist them on their ears. He was so funny. We would. I remember he was like he had one episode. I'll never forget this episode. It was so simple and beautiful. And and can you could you imagine someone doing it today? I can't. A late night show where he's like, it's too hot in New York today. 
I'm just too hot to come do the show down in the studio. So today we're going to do the, sh- the show from my office. And he opened the window in his office and he had Richard Lewis and Terry Garr as a guest. And they came into his office Sat in his office and he interviewed Brilliant. them like across the desk and they dropped stuff out the window. And, you know, they did bits and desk pieces all from his office. From inside of his office. It's a brilliant idea, and he was always brilliant like that. And he, whether it was his idea or his writer's idea, whatever. I mean, it just, it, it doesn't matter. He condoned that. He pushed the boat on in that direction. He wasn't like, nah, they're not going to get it. He was like, let's go. Keep going in that direction. Or I approve that. Let's continue to go. So whoever drove that ship, I'm assuming it was Letterman, because his idea was kind of to, to go in that direction. Huge. Richard Lewis during that time. Gary Shandling. We were huge fans of It's Gary Shandling show. Huge fans of Larry Sanders in the 90s. I mean, all that stuff really got us excited. And then in the late 90s, there was the comedy boom. and there was Late com- 80s. Late 80s. There was the comedy boom and there was comedy on every channel. And so we would start to know, I mean, Barry Crimmins. I remember there was like a great Barry Crimmins Barry joke. Barry Crimmins had the best joke, which we wrongly attributed to, to Kenny Rogerson for years and years. But in our brain, because we thought they kind of looked alike. But Barry Crimmins joke was like, I was recently down and recently got arrested in Kentucky. Trying to smuggle books into Kentucky. Great joke. Uh, I got off on a technicality because no one could actually prove that they were books. Great joke. Boom, boom. Great joke. Hilarious. And that was a joke that spoke directly to us. Hilarious. We would tell Kevin, that to Kevin Meany. Kevin Meany. I mean, Kevin, may Kevin. he rest in peace. Hey, everybody. I hope you're enjoying this episode as much as I am. If you made it this far and you haven't fallen asleep yet, then you must be the type of person who's serious about having a career in the comedy business. That's why I'm offering you my Blueprint for Success, a one-of-a-kind all-access pass into my knowledge and experience after over 40 years of working with the best of the best in this crazy entertainment industry. I'll tell you all the stories, all the philosophies, give you all the great special guests, and even give you one-on-one private consultations to help you expand, enhance, and skyrocket your comedy career. Just go to BarryCats.com and click on Blueprint for Success to learn more about my groundbreaking digital academy that I've created just for you. With it, we can take your career so far that one day, instead of listening to this podcast, you'll be interviewed on it. And so you guys, the heavy Boston influence, because you were there for how long, though? Bo- oh, in Boston? Yes. We, we were never fair. in Boston. Well, but you had to work there, done something, because those you mentioned comics, Barry Crimmins, so those are the Kenny Robertson, and Kevin Meany, and those are three Boston so, comedians. So the Boston scene at that time was so electric. I don't think we've seen, maybe not, I mean, Stephen Wright, Kevin Meany, Kenny Rogerson, uh, but then it was Barry Richard Crimmins. Lewis. It was Barry Crimmins. It was Gary Shandling. Like, you know, these Ellen DeGeneres, her stand-up, we were huge fans of hers. And, of course, in SNL, you know, we would go to Sunday school at the next day after the Eddie Murphy, Joe Piscopo SNLs, and we would just repeat the sketch like verbatim and we'd only watched it once do the entire sketch in front of our thing we had an amazing knack for learning things and which is why learning these roast jokes it's like all part of us because we've been doing it for years doing the sketch the next day movies like trading places movies like animal house movies like you know those movies and stuff just 
you know, we, we would quote them. We learned the entire jive scene from, you know, the jive scene in from Airplane when they run into Barbara Billingsley and she speaks jive. So did the whole scene. We would that like when we stood up and tried to pledge a fraternity at the University of Michigan and everyone's like, what's your favorite movie? What name? Where are you from? What's your favorite movie, movie quote? quote? We stood up and everyone's like, you know, you looking at me like people are trying to do like one line from a movie. Randy and I get up and we do the entire jive scene from airplane between the two guys even the small talk scene it was and immediately got into the house i mean we were like there was no question but we memorized that shit we loved it so much and comedy just became how we identified because we were twins and because people would like kind of give us attention give us attention we're like how do we handle that well our dad's funny and he makes people laugh and we like that and we're really into comedy and love what they're doing and like picking it apart and understanding why it's funny maybe we can be fun like maybe we can we understand this maybe we can do it but we never but we never thought we could do it and i'm gonna tell this story and it also informs why we are who we are i told this story last night to an australian comedian who's so sweet uh the story is this we were, it was 1993. We were uh, in our senior year at University of Michigan. We applied to law schools, got in, got accepted to law schools. We were good law schools. Two separate law schools. I, I got into George Washington. Jay got into Emory. Those are like top 25, top 25 law schools um, we from were the University of Michigan. Ready to go. Uh, we were back in St. Louis for New Year's. And we were looking in the paper to see who was performing comedy on New Year's because we wanted to go see comedy. We look, this is the time where St. Louis had three comedy clubs. St. Louis had three comedy clubs. That's the comedy boom. All right. There was a catch a rising star downtown in Union Station in St. Louis who was coming on New Year's Eve. But Andy Kindler, Andy Kindler, our favorite comedian hands down our favorite comedian. I loved everything he did. I love that he ended his MTV half hour comedy hour with uh, Jew, like his something about the Jews. He's like, you, <laughs> what was it? Do you believe it? It was so, it was such an abrasive ending. That was so funny. Like you got, I can't even talk about televangelists. And he's like, televangelists get on TV. It's like Jews, we're doctors and lawyers. We work for our money. It's you Christians who are televangelists got to get on TV and beg for money. I'm Andy Kindler. I'll see you good night. It was so funny. We loved it. We loved everything he was doing. He was obviously the, one of the first comedians ever to tell a joke and then dissect, dissect what he just did. He was so original and great. We saw him that he was coming. And we went down to go see him at Catch a Rising Star on New Year's Eve. The crowd was not his crowd. They were not smart. They were not comedy savvy. They were people who wanted to get drunk on New Year's Eve and be told a bunch of dick jokes. Andy is not that. So Andy goes into his act and he's being Andy and he's hilarious. And we're, we're there. We're laughing so hard. It's a table of our, and there are people there who are loving him and getting into it. But there's also a contingent of people who did not know who he was, did not want this brand of comedy. were St. Louis old school racists and are like, get this Jew out of here. There was that feeling like big time throughout his set. Some people got up and left. Some people started heckling him. It was a, it became a shit show show ends. Andy's 
kind of a stage side of the stage we come up to him and we're like oh my god you were so funny you that was the best show we've ever seen you were amazing i'm like sh- who who think who expects that after that show it's like now that we've been, we've on, been the on the road we've had shows like that you have a like, bad show and it's like you don't want anyone to come up to you and say that was great we're like, like can we please book you at the university of michigan there's no way he thought he'd get work off of that show but he's like yeah here's yeah, to call called tom, tom ingenio at, at omnipop which i'm sure you know so we're like so here we are these like college seniors we call his office and we get him booked get him a couple of grand to come like which by the way in 93 93 a couple grand is like three hundred thousand dollars today no but it was good money for for someone who wasn't like coming off of a tv show or something like that he had credits and he had the credits but he was it was clearly our call to make this happen and and we're like empty the the budget he'll be our last guest of the year it was in the spring we brought him out we got 250, 300 people to come see it. We, like we fought hard to like, you know, make sure people like, you guys don't understand. This guy's amazing. Come on. And they did. And they came and loved it. It was a great night. And we opened for him. And we, we said, just watch our set and tell us what you think about it. Just tell us what you think about it. We took him out afterwards for like pancakes at like, you know, midnight. Silverman's pancakes. Silverman's pancakes. And he, in Ann Arbor. And he. We said, please give tell, us. Tell us what you think about it. He said, you guys are really funny to hang out with. Like, you guys are funny in life. You're really funny. If you should go to a coast and get into a comedy scene, either New York or L.A. I'm He's like, LA. I think you're going to have to get rid of all your material. You're going to have to lose all your material. But if you get to a scene where, like, New York or L.A., where there's really good people who are pushing you to write stuff, I guarantee you, you guys will be on TV by the age of 25. We, that was all we needed because Came. he didn't blow smoke up our ass. He was real. He's like, you got to lose your material, but you guys are funny. There's something really interesting. We like dropped him off at his hotel, drove home, called our parents. We're like, Andy Kindler says we don't have to go to law school. We're like, we're not going to law school. We're not going to law school. We'll we, de- and then we talked to them and we were like, we'll defer law school because we don't want you to have a heart attack. We'll defer for a year. We're going to move to New York. We're going to get jobs. We're going to support ourselves. You do not su- will not support us. You will not spend a penny. We will support our lives. We will try to do comedy in New York. And that's the beginning of our tale and our connection to you when we met you back in New York. And Maureen Tarrant, like, I love Maureen. She's now at True TV, but she worked with you back in the day. She tried to sign us. For 10 years. For 10 years, it was, you guys were a great team and a force for comedy management in New York. And I remember she, we were with Peter Principato who from the beginning of his management company, we were with him pocketed through the agency and then into his management company. So we were connected there and we're still with him today, which is, I remember we met you at the cosmic diner. Yes. And we want, what was crazy was if Peter had stayed, I will say this straight up. This is the truth. Cause we really like you and Maureen. Maureen is the best. We, we really felt a deep connection to you guys. If Peter would have stayed as an agent and not made the leap to manager, we would have been repped by you. And that's what you told us. You said, we think he's going to be making the move to be. A he manager. told us he was. And that's, and that was it. And he actually asked us, he's like, I want you to be in my first five clients. And he had already had that conversation with us. Had he not had that conversation with us, we, we could possibly have been repped by you. That's how much we liked you. And we felt connected to you and felt like you got, what we were trying to do. Hey everybody, let me remind you one more time about my new blueprint for success. It's a project I've spent months and months working on just to help you jumpstart your comedy career and beat the competition. Whether you want to do stand-up, sketch, improv, acting, writing, producing, directing, radio, social media influencing, 
or even if you want a career behind the scenes as a manager or agent, Blueprint for Success will give you all the tools you need to take your career to the highest levels. With exclusive interviews, my top 50 commercial-free episodes from Industry Standard, one-on-one -on -one coaching with me, and unprecedented access into my knowledge and experience from over 40 years in this crazy business. I guarantee you that with Blueprint for Success, you'll become the creator you've always dreamed of becoming. No one's asking me to do this. I want to do it because I want to help you become truly undeniable. So just go to barrycats.com, click on Blueprint for Success, and start your incredible journey today. I truly can't wait to work with you to help you change the trajectory of your comedy career forever. Hey everybody, and I wanted to thank some of the sponsors on the podcast, starting with AquaTrue. If you haven't bought this countertop water purification system, you have to do so. It's incredible. It turns tap water into your favorite bottled water instantly. It saves you thousands and thousands of dollars. It gets rid of all those plastic bottles that you have in your trash. Thousands and thousands of listeners have bought these. Everybody loves it. Not one complaint. It's incredible. I haven't bought a bottle of water in years since I got this, and you won't either. And if you go right now to industrystandardwater.com and type in the promo code Barry, you'll immediately get a $100 discount, a $100 discount, and start enjoying the best and most cost-effective water you've ever had. I guarantee it. Lastly, the air doctor. I don't know what the air inside your house is like, but the air inside my house, it feels heavy at times before I got this product. And now it got rid of all the bad air in my house, the dust, the pet hair, the pollen. It just gets rid of all the contaminants circulating through your home. And for me, when I got this product, it was amazing the difference that I found in the air in my house. And it's normally $600. And you can check Amazon right now and you'll see. But for all of you listening, today, I can offer you $300 off. $300. Just go to airdoctorpro.com and type in the promo code Barry. That's airdoctorpro.com, promo code Barry, and save $300 and get rid of all the bad toxins in your house and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. Six degrees of separation. Six degrees of separation. I'm going to mention some names. Okay. Tell me what comes to mind. Chelsea Handler. Chelsea Handler, we did her show a ton. Uh, we did... Uh, we did Chelsea lately a ton and it's amazing. Like a lot of people still know us from that show, which is, which is great. That show was great because it taught us how to write a joke in this process again of writing a joke for something and learning it and then being able to deliver it in the moment. So that was super valuable time that we had on there. Dave Chappelle. Love Chappelle so much. Here's a quick Chappelle story. So, I mean, we know, love him from our New York days. Love him. 
recently we're at the store and we had like a spot and Neil Brennan was on stage, was supposed to go on right before us and Chappelle walks in the back and, you know, it was so good to see him. But then at the same time, we're like, "Uh oh, he's going to go on stage and then it's going to just, we're done. I mean, like he'll be there. God knows how long he could be there for two hours or whatever. And by the way, has earned it. Yeah. We're like, great. Yes. Take it. Do do it. But do we stick around for it? Do we leave? Is, you know, there's people behind us. We don't want to. So. Brandon's about to get off. He's got the the blue light. The star is shining above the piano thing. The piano player's up there, and all of a sudden, Chappelle goes on stage, and we're like, fuck. So he goes on stage, and the two of them, Chappelle does, like, incredibly connected new material, new material that's off the top of his head. He's amazing. Crowd is going nuts. More people are, More pouring, people are in. pouring in. This it's is a, like the moment of people's lives that they're going to talk about for years. It's like a fire hazard, and we're next, and we're like, man... I, I don't even know. I don't know. Like, I just don't even know if we're, we're out in the hallway having like an existential conversation, conversation. And being like, do we leave? Ian Edwards is right after us. He's like, man, if you motherfuckers leave, I'm, I'm leaving. leaving. We were like, and we were like, look, it is such an honor to get a spot at the comedy store. It's we don't want to disrespect it, especially now. It's like the best place ever to, you know, we got the spots. So we're like, let's see where he, when he's going to get off. If he All gets right. off in like 30 minutes, cause sometimes he does that. Maybe he'll go in the other room and do a bunch. Then great. That's fine. It is what it is. So still going to be hard. Still going to be hard to follow. It's Dave Chappelle. That's a challenge. We and should Neil's, be able to, and Neil's still on stage. And they just talk and they're being so funny. And it becomes like a podcast. They're just like asking each other questions. 30 minutes becomes 45 minutes, becomes an hour, minute, becomes an hour and 15, becomes so an now hour it's and 30. Hour 30. It's like five minutes before midnight. We're like, we got to leave. This is ridiculous. What are we going to walk up to? Everyone's going to walk out. There's no way. He could be up there for another hour. Like, forget it. So we go to the front to tell the doorman, listen, I don't want to screw the people behind us. This is ridiculous. We're going to do everyone behind us a favor. We're yeah, going to leave. leave. We're going to leave. And we love our spots here, but this is ridiculous. And right as Jade like started to walk out and we were leaving, he's like, all right, that's it. Let's bring up the who's next. next. Who's next? So Neil's like, who's next? And then we look back and the guy looks at us, uh, the piano player, Jeff. And we were like, all right, I guess we'll go. So hour and a half. Meanwhile, my brain, I'm driving down sunset, like gone home into bed. I probably have to wake up at six. Yeah, in the there's morning. like so much release in that moment we are like make the not decision to leave and then immediately you got to get back up to the point where you're like holy shit we got to follow an hour and a half of stream of consciousness dave chappelle we got to follow that that is we're going to take the bullet for everybody and so they say they introduce neil say, starts to introduce us and then dave goes back on stage well they say who's next Sklar brothers all right so then dave who's already out by us walks back on stage and he's like i i i want to introduce these guys I came. I started with these guys. Came up with these guys, and we're like, maybe yeah, don't not, focus let's on. Let's not that talk about how you came up with a lot more makes successful. It look like than we have right, right, right. Dave, he's like, I love these guys. You want to stick around for them? They are so funny. Every time I see them do stand up, they're great. I love them. Give it up for my friends, the Sklar brothers. Just a beautiful introduction. We get on stage. We give them a hug. We're like, Dave. Sh- so this is why the con- this is why I, the con- my first I said this is why the comedy store is amazing. They'll let an open micer like Dave Chappelle come on and do an hour and a half in the middle of his show. It's just generous. And then what was the next? Oh, I was like, Dave. Dave, you've been on stage so long that uh, so, as, just, I, as I walked up on stage here, someone handed me the new iPhone. That's I'm how like, long we've been waiting. I was like, Dave, I tucked my daughter, my five year old daughter, into bed before I came here tonight. And she's going to college. That's now. how long you've been That's on stage. That's how long. Dave. Thanks so a lot. Just jokes, jokes, jokes. He was laughing. We had great fun. And the then audience. we, and then we went into what was a 
decidedly difficult set that we wound up pulling really nice and big laughs from. And it was a huge, it was a huge thing for us being like, you can do this. It doesn't matter who you follow. You should be able to follow everybody in every situation and don't get it in your head that you can't. It's the same thing we took on stage last night to the Rose battle, but like, it was like, we can do it. But I just love it. It's one thing to say it. It's another thing to do it because uh, then you can have that, you know, empirical belief put inside of you. Your proudest moment in show business. I want you to both think about it. Okay. What your proudest moment is in show business, but don't say it and one go after the other and see if it's the same thing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Proudest moment in show business. What do you think? I mean, it's funny because I, mine will be different from Randy's. I, I'm, I'm going to say I auditioned for and booked without Randy, which was rare in our career, uh, a really great role on Curb Your Enthusiasm when it was in its third season and the height of it. It was, I mean, it stayed great all the way through, but and I was very nervous to go and do it by myself. I, was, I hadn't gone to a bunch of jobs by myself. It was intimidating. It was a scene with Larry. It was a big argument scene. It was a big deal. And um, and I got to the set, and Larry was a little standoffish, a little. And then I just said, we're sitting in the makeup chair next to each other. And I'm like, I fucking hate the Lakers. And he was like, oh, my God. Let's talk about this. And now we get into it. And we're like, what is this? And why is it Kobe's this? We start getting into a whole thing. Great conversation. We're connected. He's like, this is going to be funny because he was in the audition. And I was like, it's so funny. I'm like, thank you for having me. And I said, you know, I normally perform with my twin brother. We do comedy together. And he's like, I know. And I was like, so it's exciting and it's a new experience for me to be here by myself, but I'm loving this scene and I can't wait to do it with you. Great. But we go in on the set, we do it like nine times. That's it. Nine, nine run throughs. And he laughed a couple of times and broke up a take. And he's like, Bob Whitey came out the director and was like, man, you're busting the take. You can't do that. And he's like, it's funny. And I'm like, thank you. You know, and I had a great job time. I loved the scene. My buddy who was editing it, like kept calling me and, telling me this scene's turning out great and I keep adding everything that was in it because I don't want to lose anything in it. It's great. I felt so proud of that. It was such a big deal for me. And then a year later, Larry was on Fresh Air with Terry Gross and she was talking about the quintessential Larry argument. He's like, what is the quintessential argument in a Larry of a Curb Your Enthusiasm argument? And they played our scene. And I heard that on that show unexpectedly. And that was a just a tremendous moment of pride for me. I would say, you know, we did our show Cheap Seats. I mean, there are a million, not a million, but we've done a number of things like being on the set of Better Call Saul and delivering in the moment for Bob Odenkirk, someone who we so looked up to in the 90s alternative comedies and comedy scene. You know, Mr. Show was the gold standard and the fact that, you know, we felt we did a couple of episodes in uh, in the the previous season of that third season of that show, and 
it was huge to do that. And we got a lot of love for doing that and, and being in the moment of like being with Bob, who was such a good actor and such a good comedy guy. And you, and he loved what we were doing and we loved working with him. Those moments are just moments where you sit there and go, I can't believe this is, we get a chance to do this. And we earned that job because it wasn't for twins. It was not for brothers. It was two guys who owned a music store and we wound up pulling that. So that's great. But I think the proudest moment is when we were sitting in the sports Emmys for uh, Cheap Seats, which, you know, our show on ESPN Classic was nominated for a sports Emmy. And we didn't win, but that's fine. There was no way we were going to win. It was not. It was a sports comedy show. But sitting in there and getting a chance to, like, meet you know, and talk to people like Mary Carrillo and all these other people and athletes who loved the show and told us that they loved it. And for what we had created, I was like, I can't believe that a, we got to do something for four seasons, 77 episodes, but that it was recognized. Who cares if we won or not? It just felt unbelievable to have put something like that on the map that we really love that other people recognize in that way. And that was probably our proudest, my proudest show business moment. Your biggest disappointment in show business and how you used it to fuel yourself to the next level so I remember we went and auditioned for a there was a show through Sony that was for Fox it was a hilarious script unbelievable script about a guy who El, was it El Jefe I, yeah yeah and there there was a role we were 39 maybe mm-hmm. 39 almost 40 years old uh there was a role for twins and it was twin sort of douchebaggy 30 year old dudes whose dad gave them his their PR business his PR business and they're taking it over at age 30 and the name of the guy the names of the characters was the name of our friend who was the development executive at Sony and we get the audition come down we call this or we yep. find out about it and we call Scott and we're, our buddy and we're like, dude, this, I mean, are we going to get this? Are they going to make an offer for us? And he's like, no, you guys will come in and read for it and you'll do great. And we were like, ooh, that's why do, why do we have to read for it? Why do we have to it? read for it? We've been doing stuff forever. This, this is a role feels for like twins. it was written for us. We're these two twins, Jewish douchebaggy twins. We can do that. In their 30s, we can do it. And he's like, yeah, come and read for it. We come in and read. We get through the first round and then we come back to test for the network and the studio it means you go to drive to Sony you sit there in this room and it's us another set of twins we've never seen before and then it's one guy and we're like what is the one guy doing here this is so weird and we you know but we're not intimidated because we like what we're doing and you know we're running it with the casting director and they're helping us and coaching us and it's a big deal the pressure goes on because what happens is when you go to test for a network Barry, you know this. They make you negotiate the contract ahead of time, which is such a mind fuck. They make you sign like a 60 page contract beforehand that has your rate for every year up until seven years. SNL is eight years. Yeah. And then so if you decide you don't want to do it, you can't back out and you decide you want more money because you're the best. You can't get more money. Right. So that's how they tie you up. But if you are looking at it in another direction and you're looking at it, you're going, oh, my God, I could make all this money. And yeah, when this gets on in the year, I'm going to make $720,000 or I'm going to make $540,000 more money than I've ever seen before. Yes. I would like to do this. Okay. And so we sign that stuff and we're in our heads going like, this is a great script. It's going to probably go. We got this get in the room. We do a good audition. We feel good about it. 
driving away. Our buddy calls us. You were great. I can't say anything more. We got to go back in for more auditions, but you guys killed it. Great job. I'm driving away going like, we're going to be in pilot for this show. We hadn't had a pilot for a while. We were ready. We were hungry. Then we don't hear anything for a week. And we're like, that's not good. That's not good. Like that either tells us that it's super close between us and someone else. And we're like, who else? Who else? Or we didn't get it. And they're just not calling us anymore. What we found out was that they wanted the singular guy to do it. And they had shot a thing with him where they've split screened him. They were really big. The director really wanted to do this split screen technology. That's what made this one guy, both brothers. And that hurt us in such a deep way because we're like, Oh, we're never going to get work again. They'll just hire one actor and split screen it. This is the, the, and we lost the job to this guy. This is the end of our careers like it was such a it was so devastating gut punch because we thought we were going to get it we didn't get it and they gave it to this singular guy meanwhile the pilot didn't go that's just fine but like it hurt us but uh, several but it motivated us to several months later we got on to a show that david cohan who created will and grace we were on partners and we did six episodes of that show and that shit was on the air so we were able to get on and be a part of something but but i will say that our manager helped us through that joel zadak was great in that way he was like we were like this is the end and we had no you know it's so crazy when you're not like when you're not lighting it up and, and working left and right, you just don't want to come in and complain to your management or to your reps and be like, we're done. Like, that's not the energy you want to exude. You don't really want to be honest, but in our hearts, that's what we were feeling. And we were so devastated. We're like, I guess we're saying goodbye to you and this whole business. And he was like, no, you guys are funny. You have this. We will find a new way. This might not even go. And he was right. He was right. Uh, I would say, I mean, I can't even get into the depth of this. It's like too much. But there was something that we did over the, was it two summers ago? The David O. Russell thing. Oh my God. That, that one maybe made me want to like, that was another one that made me want to say like, maybe we should stop doing this. But there was like, we got a call that, hey, David O. Russell wants to talk to you on the phone. We're like, oh my God, we're going to be in a David O. Russell movie. Movie. This He's like our favorite. Oh my God, I love this. I love that. I, he's incredible. Yes, we've heard stuff about him being kind of crazy in the Lily Tomlin video and blah, blah, blah. But he called us up and is like, you got to sign a non-NDA. You got to sign an NDA before we can even have you get on the phone with him. And so like we get on the phone with him and it's a weird conversation. And he asks us who we are and we tell him all the stuff that we're doing and that we're, you know, we wrote this pilot and we do this. He was like, so are you writers? We're like, no, no, no. We're actors and comedians and this is what we do. And he's like, would you shave, shave your beards? We're like, of course, what are you? Of course. Absolutely. And we get off. And then he's like, so you're writers. And we're like, like, no, we are actors and also also (laughs) actors and comedians. So then he said, okay, there's, we're going to shoot this thing. He starts explaining it. And we're like, it's like, there's an evil version and a good version and it's good versus evil in this like conceptual thing and blah, blah, blah. So we were like, was oh, there a script or what do we do? He said, like, no, 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 just, no, come, just, just come. come, come to rehearsal tomorrow. So we call our agent. We're like, what is this? They're like, you're not going to want to hear what this is. You're not going to hear it. We're, so we're like, they're like, it's not a movie. And we're it's like, not a movie. Okay. okay. So it's a commercial. We're in a commercial. No, it's not. It's, a a, it's an industrial it's a art installation. art installation that's going to be in the Berlin Art Museum for Prada, Milan. Milan for Prada and a bunch of Prada 
stuff close and there'll be really big people in it and so we were like and and you guys are and we and we negotiated up so now you each get a hundred dollars a day to do this this is not 1927 a hundred dollars a day and we were like i wonder how much the rest of the people are getting they're like no no no. they're only they're only you got 250 and like the the bigger stars are going to be a part of it and they're getting only 500 they're doing it just for a chance to work with david or russell we're like okay this is why we came out here this is great meanwhile at the end of the week we had three gigs lined up one in new orleans one in mississippi and one in mobile alabama the collection of the three would have paid us roughly ten thousand dollars okay so we're like all right Oh, we'll do this. But we got to leave town on Wednesday. We got to leave town on Wednesday. the shoot was from Monday through Thursday. Thursday. And we're like, okay, maybe we can, you know, because this is so cheap and blah, blah, blah. Maybe we're hardly, I'm guaranteeing we're not the stars of this thing. Maybe we can get all of of our stuff shot on Monday and shot on Tuesday. We get there and we just start talking and it's, he's not there yet. And no, he's getting his haircut there. Oh, yeah, he got his, he's getting his haircut. He comes in late and then he gets his haircut. And we say, when are we working? And they're like, you guys are on Tuesday and, and Thursday. Thursday. We're like, I mean, we can't, we can't, we can't do Thursday. I mean, we're, we're, you know, we can't do that. Meanwhile, we get there and it's like Connie Britton and John Krasinski and Sasha Baron Cohn and uh, other, other Allison Williams. It's, I mean, huge people and we're hanging out with them and having a good time. And Allison Williams is like, I love you guys. And you know, John Krasinski is really actually is cool. And I mean, there's people are being amazing. They're just incredible. And we're like, we, can you see if maybe we can shoot all of our stuff? I'm sorry to do this. I'm so sorry. We want to make this work. We want to be a part. We want to be a part of this, and we'll do anything. We'll stay late. It will. We'll work at any hours through to Monday, Tuesday, and maybe even a little on Wednesday morning. And they were like, they started laughing, and we're like, well, can we just can we ask them? They're like, sure. If you want to go ahead and ask them, we'll <laughs> we'll ask them. So they went and asked him asked him if that was it and they can't if we could do it the thing and the, the guy like almost walked he in was almost like gri- he was going through a revolving door. door he was like the most grizzled ad ever this and guy night, is like, he was a great dude he just walked in and then one second later walked out just like, was you like, guys are fired you guys Goodbye. are done you guys are fired and we were like we've never been fired off a job ever in our entire career since 1996 of working 95 working. fired get out of here never fired get out and we were like hold on a second can we we sort of freak out because we're I'm like, like sweating. I'm like, uh, because we're like, this is what we came to L.A. to do was to be in. This isn't a movie. This is a dumb industrial. But we to work with people. And like the hope was maybe we'll be funny enough or cool enough or these people like us enough that like or and, show some. And by the way, I also 100 percent see it from their side, too. They spoke to our agents and managers and asked for us for availability for those days and we all said yes and then now we're coming with a different request a hundred percent i get why they would be like well that's not going to work but we were like can we just talk to david and just apologize <laughs> like, at the sure. and they're like have fun with that so we're like we came in and we were like david we just can we talk to you for one second about this and try to figure this out and he was like no and don't like you lied, you lied and you told us one thing and now you're doing something else. And I understand, I actually a hundred percent understand his perspective. Uh, he was like, no, get out. You're, you're on gone. my, you're on my caca list. Is you're what out. He said. Yeah. You're on my shit list. And we were like, okay. 
that went incredibly south real quick. And that's the opposite of what we wanted. Here we were. We got this opportunity. It turned out to be 10 times worse than the opportunity we thought it was going to be. 10 times less lucrative. 10 times more demeaning in the sense of us being like, we're not even characters in a movie. We're just like wordless, you know, extras almost in this like long avant-garde product commercial that no one's getting paid for. And we just got fired from that and got on this amazing filmmaker shit list. And it was like, and we drove home and Randy and I were like, so we had just talked to our families and said we were going to be gone. It was like a fighting rehearsal on a Sunday for stage fighting and all in some of the choreography drive home. And I, and we called our agent who was not available because he, he was taking his dog to like be put to sleep. So he was in his own horrible hell. And we're like, man, I think we screwed up pretty bad and this is what happened. And he explained, he's like, well, can you make it work at the end of the week? We called our booking agent. We're like, what would it do to like move this, to move these shows to like the fall? Is that possible week of? He's like, I'll look into it. He found out, he's like, yeah, if you do it again in the future, they won't give you the guarantee that they thought. So you're going to lose like probably half the money, lose like five grand. And then, I mean, you can make some of it back up in sales, but you probably won't make it up in sales. So just say goodbye to $5,000 and we can probably, and then, so we call back the guy and we're like, our agent, can we get, can we get back on that, on that shoot? Cause we felt so bad. We did feel like we had sort of not been a hundred percent honest with them based on what they're asking. And he's like, I'll see calls us back and they're like, David's really upset, but he's willing to let your transgression slide and we'll have you back, which essentially means we don't want to go through a casting of more twins. We'll take you back because it's easier for our production. So we came, came back, did the shoot. We were not spoken to. We were not addressed. We were treated so poorly throughout the whole shoot. Um, not by the other people, but by the director. And we were made to feel way less than the whole time. And we were held for hours. Our last shot would be at four o'clock. And like our wives are like, are you picking up the kids from this thing? And we're like, yeah, I think we're done. They said we were done. We were made to wait there until eight o'clock at night, four hours of sitting in a trailer, not getting called to the set. And then us constantly asking, hey, we have to pick up our kids. We got, we got to go record this podcast with Michael Ian Black. He's in town. That's our only chance to get you guys they're not, we're not hearing anything. We're not hearing anything. We're not hearing anything. Nine o'clock. You guys can go home five hours sitting in your trailer. People mad. Our family's mad at us for being gone. We made a hundred dollars a day each. We see the final product. We're in it for like three seconds, four seconds, five. Uh, we're in it a little bit more than that, but like, and we are treated like lower than extras, lower than extras in the thing. And in that moment we were like, well, this is where we are. This is our position in this industry. We didn't have enough power to say no and walk away. We came back to a situation that made us feel less than again. And we then were in a difficult situation and treated poorly and just accepted it. It took us a long time to get over that. It took us a long time to get over that because it's where you want to be. It's with who you want to be with. And then we felt like, the industry put us in the place where we were and it was hard to get out of that it was like PTSD of some sort career wise 
what advice do you have for the young comic or young twins uh, growing up in a area that's not necessarily the best situation for what you want to do and how do you get forward and navigate and get to the place where you are today to have the most amazing career that you're having Thank what would you. you tell an artist i would say if you love comedy and you feel like it's something you want to do number one study it study why is this funny why do i love maria bamford what take your do? top five comedians and try to write why is that person funny like write a paper be like why is this person funny why are these people funny what what do they do that's great what is their comedic formula what is their comedic juice and then say well what do i do that that I can bring to the table. Can I imitate every single person in my office and make everyone laugh because I can just pick up on mannerisms and I understand the way people that do I make hilarious observations? Am I a cute person who says the most outrageous thing? Am I the kind of person who tells the greatest stories in the world and I can make a whole room of people listen to me and I have all these funny jokes? Can I do characters? Do I have incredible observations identify what it is in yourself that's funny and then try to write some material towards that and then go up in your local scene when you go up in your local scene your local scene will tell you in a short period of time whether or not you can excel yeah and then once you're in that local scene wherever you are there are some sort of intermediary scenes that are great like denver san francisco portland chicago uh, chicago austin boston those like intermediary scenes are really really dc intermediate intermediate intermediary is someone who intermediate scenes are actually really really good as well so the idea is that Go to a scene where there are other smart people doing smart comedy that are going to push you. It's what Andy told us to do. And then once you've developed enough material and you've killed it in that scene, then you go to New York. Then you go to L.A. And you walk in there with a ton of material and a bunch of tried and true stuff where you can walk into situations. All the while, you create don't wait. That is your mantra through your life. You have the tools. The things that comedians can do that actors can't do is they can write a a sketch and film it and put it up on YouTube. They can create a character and write for that character and film it. Put that on your Instagram and let that character be on your Instagram and like try and get it out there in the world. And then there's a collection of all that character doing a bunch of different things on your Instagram page so that if somebody was like, what do you do? Send Send them a link to your Instagram page and they can look at all the things that you have put together and done it's within you to get it done and so i would say that but it's a long road and then give yourself the time it takes 10 years i'm the great mark maron line it takes 10 years it takes 10 years to make an overnight success ironically that's the same amount of time it takes to create a bitter failure you just don't know till the night before that was mark maron but like the idea that it takes 10 years takes 10 years to find your voice takes another 10 years to perfect it and actually start saying something so if you are going down this road understand that it will take time you will don't go into it for the money Don't go into it for fame. Don't go into it for success. Very few people ever get there, if if at all. Go into it because you love it and you can't help yourself but bring out for the love of the game. You can't help but bring out the bits and the ideas and the thoughts inside of you or you have that the creation feeds you. Randy and I can have the worst day ever, the worst news about a project falling apart, the worst news about a fight with your family, the worst news about everything, worry and fear about your own children. And you step on stage and do a new bit for five minutes or, and get some laughs. And you're like, we're dumb enough to let that fuel us to the next thing. Yeah. We have enough just stupid sense to be like, okay, we're still good. We got it. We We still got got it. it. 
Wow. Randy and Jason Scalar, the Scalar brothers. It was worth the wait. Thank you. I'm so glad we did it. Thank you so much. So inspirational. We love you, Barry. Love you, Barry. Okay, I'm going to scroll through the list of people who sent me a message, and one of these people will be a lucky winner. And they'll get to attend a podcast live with one of my guests, meet them, shake their hand, ask them a few questions, or else if they're out of town, out of state, or out of the country, we'll Skype them in or FaceTime them or anything like that so they can be there. Why not? So let me look here randomly and pick somebody. All right, landing on Garrett B. Gunderson, August 26, 2019. Heading reads, Healthy Addiction, five stars. Comment is, I am loving this. It is wisdom packed within entertainment. Brilliant. Thank you so much, Garrett B. Gunderson. You are a winner. And that wraps up our podcast. I just wanted to thank my incredible partners, starting with AquaTrue, the revolutionary miniature countertop water purification system that works straight out of the box. Plug it in, fill it with tap water, and immediately turn your faucet into your favorite bottled water for pennies. You can get $100 off when you go to industrystandardwater.com and just type in the promo code Barry and start enjoying the best water you've ever had and never buy another bottle of water again. And I Killed JFK, the groundbreaking film about the only living person who admitted to killing Kennedy. Go to IKillJFK.com, buy the film and the rare interviews with five of the last living experts, and I guarantee it'll change your mind about what happened that day. And the Air Doctor, the innovative portable air purification system which will change your overall quality of life. It instantly removes dust, pet hair, mold, pollen, flu viruses, and other contaminants circulating in your home. Normally $600, and if you don't believe me, check Amazon right now. But for a limited time, I can offer you 50% off. That's a $300 savings. Just go to airdoctorpro.com, type in the promo code Barry, and start breathing the cleanest and healthiest air in the world. And here's a preview of the next very special episode. Daryl Hammond. I don't think most managers could pull off what you pulled off because it wasn't just that you knew someone or that you could meet someone or arrange to meet someone that could give me a shot. I don't know if you'll recall this, but I was telling this to someone the other day. Um, you, you wrote three auditions. You wrote them um, for Lauren because Lauren had me in the studio twice, once after oral surgery which you adjusted the audition somehow to accommodate. <laughs> and then one time with the comedy strip. So getting me in there was, was, was like, a, like a special ops thing. I mean, I don't know that the best managers in the world could do that. As always, this has been Industry Standard with me, Barry Katz. And if you like the show, tell all your friends. And if you don't like the show, tell all your friends. You get out the money, drop that fancy car. All the people love you, 
Listening to Industry Standard with Barry Katz. If you'd like more info on our schedule of new episodes or how to reach Barry through Twitter, Facebook, or email, go to barrycats.com. Before you leave, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast, leave a comment, and rate it, even if you think it blows. Thank you for your support and have a great day.